I'm worried. I get animated. Um, <laughs> that would be exciting. <laughs> On the afternoon of the day we now call Easter, these two followers of Jesus are, are taking a seven-mile walk back home. Uh, and they're talking about everything that happened that morning, which is just crazy and does not make sense. Women uh, followers of Jesus from their group went out to visit Jesus' grave, and then they came running back saying, his body's missing. And we pick up the story at Luke 24 and verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Okay, this is odd. Why would God not want them to see that it is Jesus who's walking with them? Well, eventually they invite this person, whom they don't know is Jesus, to stay for dinner. And as they are about to eat, their guest took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappears. Okay, this is also odd. <laughs> I mean, is it, any, is it anyone else or just me who finds it strange that God kept them from recognizing him and then as soon as they do recognize him, he disappears? So what's that about? Well, uh, their experience connected with me because uh, to be a Christian is to have this sense that Jesus is with you and yet you don't see him with the, your eyes and you it, it, it's don't you wish sometimes that you could just see Jesus yeah I mean that he was still visible now just like he was during his earthly ministry I mean I think all Christians long for that there's a reason there are songs written open our eyes Lord we want to see Jesus and I mean if Jesus were still visible think about it we could see him preach we could watch the YouTubes. Um, we could ask him questions. Whenever our faith gets wobbly, we could just look and go, oh yeah, he's, he's real. Um, that would make believing a whole lot easier for us and for other people. Skeptics have a good time making fun of believers about this notion that we follow an invisible God. They started about 3,000 years ago. Uh, David says in the Psalms, I thirst for God the living God, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Now, today's skeptics keep it going. I don't know if you've seen the meme about the flying spaghetti monster. They say, hey, if you believe in, in a creator who's invisible, then I want equal time for my belief in the invisible flying spaghetti monster. And they've even created a mock religion with, uh, for this deity with a name, Pastafarianism? Come on. <laughs> I love anybody who, who, who uses bad puns. But tonight, I do want to engage their point a bit and, and ask these two questions. Why is it that you and I, followers of Jesus, do not see him right now? Why? And since we cannot see Jesus, are there other reliable means by which we can sense, connect, or, or otherwise engage Jesus? 
uh, I was thinking about like the James Webb telescope, which just came out with amazing new photos. Maybe some of you saw the 60 Minutes piece. Um, well, you and I cannot see infrared with these. We don't pick up infrared at all, even though it's constantly uh, coming toward us. Um, but the Webb telescope can and does. And so using infrared, it can see galaxies back to virtually the birth of the universe within 2% of the total time elapsed. Um, is there something like the web for us that allows us to see Jesus when we otherwise cannot? Does that make sense? Okay, question number one, why don't we see Jesus now? Well, actually, Jesus has already gone on record answering this. Jesus explicitly tells his followers, there will be a time when you will not see me. He prepares them for it. Less than 24 hours before he's killed, it's the Monday, Thursday evening, he says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. And then in a little while, you'll see me. Now, with hindsight, we know he's saying, in a little while, I'll be dead and buried, and you won't be able to see me. But in just a little while after that, I'll be resurrected from the dead, and you will see me again, and no one can rob you of your joy. Okay. Well, that pattern is exactly what happens. Death, three days, you will not see me. And then resurrection, 40 days of appearances, you will see me. Now, you and I did not live through that time period, but we live in the same pattern as that. Stay with me. We have the same pattern. Because the time that you and I live in right now is between Jesus ascends to heaven, you will not see me, and Jesus returns in glory, you will see me, and no one can rob you of your joy. So we have this similar dynamic because Jesus uh, has, this, has told us this is our reality. He prepared us for it. He said, I go to the Father, meaning I'm ascending. You will not see me for a time. And then you will see the Son of Man coming in glory, and you will see me. So the first thing we might say about the fact that you and I cannot see Jesus right now, it's not a surprise. It's not an accident. It's not a flaw. It's intentional part of the plan of Jesus Christ, and he prepared us as his followers for this very thing. But notice, the time of our not seeing him is temporary. Just as it did on Easter, where all of a sudden, three days of not seeing him, they see him. And they're like, whoa! Our time of not seeing him will yield, just as Easter morning did, to a time of joy and seeing him that no one can take away from us. All right, so it's expected, it's temporary, and now get this. Jesus even says that this time of our not seeing him is better for us. It's better. This is not how we think at all. At least I, I don't generally. I think, man, it would have been so awesome to be there when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. Uh, some friends of ours have five kids and their youngest, Thad, is, is about four and full of spunk. And one day, he was flipping through some of the family photo albums, just looking at pictures, and he started going, grrr, grrr, like this. And his mom was like, what's the matter, honey? He's like, I'm not in here. <laughs> She's like, well, hon, you weren't born yet. But he wasn't going to buy that at all. Grrr, 
Grr. <laughs> and sometimes I think we're like sad. We wish we would have been alive then, you know? And we think, wow, it would have been, we got shorted because like, take, take Thomas. Like when the apostle Thomas doubted, Jesus came and showed him the gashes in his hands and feet and side. But when you and I doubt, we have to try to believe without being able to see. But actually, it's just the opposite. Jesus said clearly, he said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe who have not seen me. Who gets the blessing? We do. Yeah, the blessing of God is promised not to those who see, but to those who, like you and me, believe without seeing. In fact, we're actually in a much better situation than those early disciples were. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. When Jesus was on earth, if he went off to pray alone, he wasn't healing. He wasn't here, right? But now with the Holy Spirit, wherever you go, wherever you are, whatever time it is, the Holy Spirit is with you and God is with you. So here's Jesus' answer when we say, well, why don't we see you now? It's temporary. It, is, it offers you God's blessing which rests on those who do not see yet believe. And it's better for us because now the Holy Spirit is with us always and everywhere. All right, question number two, maybe the more important one. Since we can't see Jesus, are there other reliable ways by which we can sense or connect with him? And let's see what happens to uh, Clopas and his friend on that first Easter afternoon. Luke 24, verse 14 as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Which is a lot, it's so reminiscent of our situation. Jesus is with us, and yet we don't always recognize that. We're a little bit like uh, Jacob, who said, the Lord is in this place, but I did not know it. If you're a Christian, you'll, you'll have that experience. Anyway, my guess, and this is just, Kevin Miller speculating, I think Jesus was preparing these two followers of his who had always been able to see him. Now there's a 40-day window to train them for this new relationship with him where they will not see him. So I think that helps to me to understand why he's present to them and yet not fully visible at all times. But we don't really know. Anyway, so Jesus asks them a great question. He says, hey, what are, you just, what are you talking about? And they stop short, sadness written across their faces, and Clopas replies, basically, where you been, buddy? You must be the only person in Jerusalem who has not heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. And Jesus stays incognito. And he says, what things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And here, I can't help but have a little fun imagining Jesus being sort of like an empathetic counselor or listener going, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds really amazing. <laughs> and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah. 
Well, that all happened three days ago, and then some women went out to his tomb. They came back that his body's missing. Then they, they saw angels who told him Jesus is alive. Some of our men went out to see what was going on, and they found that the body was gone, just like they said. And then Jesus said to them, verse 25, I can totally see why you would find this so hard to accept. I mean, really, how often does somebody rise from the dead? No, that is not what he says. What Jesus says is, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Jesus challenges them. But there's a reason why he does it. He says, he's saying, in effect, you already have more than enough evidence that this is God's plan. You already have enough confirmation. You have Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days and then coming back alive. You have prophecies in Hosea and the Psalms. David saying, you will not allow your Holy One to suffer decay. All of that, it's all there for you. Anyway, by the time Jesus finishes walking them through all these Hebrew scriptures that point to him, it's getting late, so they invite him for supper. And it's in that moment that we see the first reliable way that you and I can sense or connect with Jesus. Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread, blessed it, then he broke it, and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Why? Why do they recognize Jesus in that moment? Well, it's the breaking of bread. When Jesus takes, blesses, breaks, and gives, that's exactly what he did at the Last Supper. I don't know if Clopas and his friend were there. They may have been. But even if they weren't, it's exactly what he did when he fed 5,000 plus people with bread and fish. He takes, blesses, breaks, and gives. So when they see him in that moment, it's like all of a sudden the eye, uh, scales come off the eyes. And they're like, oh my goodness, that is Jesus breaking the bread. One reliable way, friends, that you and I recognize and connect with Jesus is through the breaking of bread. What we call communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Read about the early Christians. When they assembled on the Lord's Day, they always had the breaking of bread. Always. If you were under discipline with the church for some notorious reason or whatever, but you were also being persecuted, they would still bring you the bread so that you would be strengthened. They talk about it like the medicine of immortality and other phrases like that. Well, it's the same reason we do it. Jesus comes to us through this. He reveals himself to us in a particular way. Over 100 years ago now, an evangelical Anglican, J.C. Ryle, he's a lot of fun to read. He's crusty. If you like crusty old authors, he's a good one. But here he wrote this, which I find quite moving. He said, There is a real spiritual presence of Christ with the hearts of all true-hearted communicants in the Lord's Supper. You will rarely find a believer who will not say this is one of his greatest helps and highest privileges. He will tell you that if he was deprived of it, he would find the loss of it a great drawback to his soul. 
He will tell you that in eating that bread and drinking that cup, he realizes something of Christ dwelling in him and he finds his repentance deepened, his faith increased, his knowledge enlarged, his graces strengthened. Eating the bread with faith, he feels closer communion with the body of Christ. Drinking the wine with faith, he feels closer communion with the blood of Christ. He cannot explain it or define it, And the true explanation of the whole matter is this. There is a special and spiritual presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Well, that's one way Jesus is revealed to us through the breaking of the bread. And here's a second. After they recognize it's Jesus, Clopas and his friend think back on the conversation they had out on the road. And verse 32, they say to each other, Wait, 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 wait. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? That's a giveaway for them because they've heard Jesus preach. Have you ever had your heart burn within you during a sermon? I know I have. That's because when the scriptures are rightly preached to us, friend, Jesus is revealed to us through them. He comes to us. John Stott, the late great uh, Anglican leader, he actually influenced Todd Hunter to become an Anglican, which is one reason why Todd is now able to be our bishop. Anyway, John was invited to Australia to preach at the University of Sydney. And the students there had rented out the big university hall and had him come and speak. And, but by the time he deplaned, and got to campus, he had some kind of upper respiratory thing, or I don't know, it was from flying, but he had completely lost his voice. So the meeting couldn't go on, right? So they're wondering what they're going to do. So the students gathered around John and prayed that this thorn would be removed. But if not, if God chose not to, then that in John's weakness, the power of Christ would rest on him. John said, I had to get within one inch of the microphone just to croak the gospel. I was unable to use any inflection of voice. It was just a croak in a monotone. But Christ comes through the preached word. Later on, here's what John said later in his life. He said, I've been back to Australia 10 times now, and on every occasion, Somebody has come up to me and said, Dr. Stott, do you remember that night when you completely lost your voice? He's like, oh yeah, I remember. That was the night I was converted. Maybe during a sermon, you've had that sense that the room is closing in, that God is speaking right to you. Or the sense maybe that it's time to repent. Or maybe you just have the sense that you are loved. Or maybe the sense that there's hope that you have a future in God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said a sermon is Christ himself walking through the congregation as the word. Sometimes I imagine Jesus walking up and down the aisles of this church and stopping and comforting somebody and speaking a word to another person that they really needed to hear. Sometimes he seems to do it regardless of what I'm saying up here. (laughs) It's just a beautiful thing. Jesus loves to walk through his preached word. Friends, Jesus may not be visible, but he is utterly recognizable. 
We recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And we recognize him in the breaking open of the scriptures. We receive him through the word and we receive him through the sacrament. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. We take them, we feed on them, we receive Christ through them and actually discover that you and I live in a blessed condition. The Bible tells us plainly about Jesus, you love him though you have never seen him. And it also tells us plainly, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.